everyone. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. I'm Janet Galante and I'm one of the pastors here at First Christian. And I'm so glad we can worship together in this way. It's been great that we can still worship wherever we are, whatever time it is when you're joining in, that we can still spend this time together. I'm super excited about our Christmas Eve plans here at FCC. You won't want to miss this. We have a Christmas park Tuesday through Thursday from 4 to 8 p.m. Check out our website for more information on that. You'll want to make sure you get tickets to reserve your spot. It'll be super safe and distance, and we'll have food trucks, activities for everyone, including some special things for kids, and a candlelight service at the end. There will also be an online option, so make sure to join in that way too. Be sure to invite a friend as we celebrate Christmas Eve together. I'm grateful that we can come together creatively and still have this moment of celebration together. Right now, we're in the middle of our series, Good News, Great Joy, All People. The whole month of December, we've been taking a look at Luke 2. We're talking about interruptions in this series, how in the middle of life, God interrupts with good news of great joy for all people. And I love that we're talking about interruptions right now during this season specifically. I'm sure you've had a lot of plans interrupted this year, just like I have. I've had trips to family that were canceled, vacations that were canceled. I moved to a new home this year. I had school online, then we were in person with masks. Everything was interrupted. I mean, 2020 really feels like a constant series of interruptions. Nothing was normal. So it's important that as our lives are constantly being interrupted, that we pay enough attention to see when God interrupts. God is interrupting. Will we notice? Will we hear God's interruption over everything else? Is Christmas even an interruption for us this year? I don't know about you, but the rhythms that normally make Christmas interrupt my life are gone. I'm not traveling to Maryland to see my family this year, and I don't really have any fancy Christmas plans. I'll wake up in my house like any other day. Maybe I'll watch some Christmas movies. And typically Christmas stands out for me because it's kind of partnered with my birthday. My birthday's the day after Christmas. But my birthday's on Saturday and I don't know what I'm doing yet. Normally I'd celebrate it with my twin sister, but I won't see her this year. And I'm sure you have a similar story where a lot of your interruptions for Christmas just aren't going to happen. So it'd be pretty easy to let Christmas just go by like any other day. And you're gonna have to decide to be interrupted by Christmas this year. Decide to go to the Christmas park and to let that celebration interrupt you. Decide to worship online with your family and participate in that service. We have to create rhythms so we'll notice the interruption of Christmas. Because God's interruption is the most positive interruption of 2020. And of all time, good news of great joy for all people. Let's check out Luke 2 to see how else God interrupts our lives. It says, so Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. 
He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the shepherds went to Bethlehem to find Jesus. And then they spread the word about him and praised God for what they had seen, a baby, the Messiah. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Did you catch the interruption? It's easy to miss. This verse includes an interruption, the name of Jesus. It's so simple for us to skim by this. We're used to seeing the name of Jesus. We sing it in songs. We pray by this name. Yeah, Jesus, that's his name. We're not exactly surprised when we get to that part of the story to find out that's his name. So it doesn't really interrupt us. But now think about what it's like when you hear your own name. It catches your attention. No matter what you're doing, if someone's across the hall and I hear them saying, well, you know, Janet, blah, blah, blah. As soon as I hear my name, I know they're talking about me or talking to me. My attention is caught. If you hear someone say, hey, you, you might turn around. Well, probably not. But if I say, hey, Peter, well, Peter, the guy who's filming this right now, he's listening a little bit more. And if your name's Peter, you're probably listening to this message a little bit more because I caught your attention by saying your name. Or when you did something wrong growing up, you might have heard your teacher, an adult, your mom or dad say your name. Oh, that interrupts a moment. Janet Elizabeth Kozlowski, as soon as I heard that, oh, I'm hiding. I knew what that meant. That would mean I'm in trouble, big trouble. They used all three of my names. And my names even changed by then, but I'm still terrified if I hear those names together. I know I'm in trouble. Or when someone says your name directly to you in conversation, now Janet, it's like they're saying, listen up, don't miss this. This is important. When we hear our name, it grabs our attention, no matter what we're doing. It makes us listen. We should have the same reaction when we hear the name of Jesus. It should interrupt us and pull us in. The name Jesus should call us to attention, and it could if we would mold our lives to it, bend our ear to this name. It should interrupt our day because this name means something. You see, Mary didn't give Jesus his name by accident. She gave it to him for a reason. You know, naming kids is an interesting thing. Some parents are very intentional in the way that they name their kids. They pick a name because of its significance, maybe a family tie or something. And other times, a parent will pick out a name because it just sounds good. It works. It fits the kid. It fits the last name and all of that together. And that's kind of how my parents picked out my name. They just liked it. And I'm a twin, so it's Janet and Joanna. That just works. It goes well together. So those were going to be our names. But growing up, I found out that my name actually means God is gracious. That's beautiful. I love that reminder that comes from my name. But I also found out that Joanna's name also means God is gracious. So my parents named us the same thing. It wasn't on purpose. It was an accident. It just so turned out that our names meant the same thing. And that's not what's happening here, though. This wasn't an accident. Let's go back to Luke 1 to check this out. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary and Joseph picked this name because the angel told them to. It was intentional and purposeful. 
We see this also in Matthew 1. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. And my Bible actually has a footnote next to the name Jesus, and it says, which means the Lord saves. When we see this footnote, it can almost make it seem like, oh, it just so happens that his name means the Lord saves. But they knew what they were doing. The name declared who Jesus was, the divine savior, the divine deliverer, the divine rescuer. And there's a hopefulness in this name too. It comes with a promise. We see from this the promise of what Jesus will accomplish. Matthew 1, Jesus will save his people from their sins. Luke 1, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus came to save the people of God, to rescue them from their sins and to reign forever. And it's important to notice the way Jesus saves, how Jesus saves. He becomes human. The God of Israel, the all-powerful God whose story is told throughout the entire Bible, becomes a person who lives with us, walks with us, and eats with us. Jesus comes to earth meeting humanity right where we are in our fallenness, on our imperfect world. The God of the universe doesn't just save us from up high somewhere, removed and keeping distance. God comes down and enters into the depths of humanity, experiencing it fully and completely. Luke 1, the angel says to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son. This is radically incarnational. God came in the flesh. And the God of the universe is even given a human name. Think about when a baby is born. The first thing people ask is, what's her name? What'd you name him? It's almost like the baby isn't real to us until the baby has a name. One of my friends is pregnant right now, and I can't wait to find out what her baby's name is going to be. It just makes a difference to us. It's how we relate to the baby. The name makes her human, just like us. And Jesus was given a name when he was born too. He experienced being born of a human and was introduced to humanity in the same way we are, with a name. And when they named him Jesus, Mary and Joseph were saying, this human baby is the son of God. His name is God saves because he will save and he is God. And how exactly is Jesus saving? What does he do for us? Well, Ethan talked about this some two weeks ago. The good news is pretty good. Jesus saves us by repairing everything in all creation. There's freedom for the captives, comfort for those who are mourning. God will rebuild and restore the world. But a big part of this is one specific transformative act that Jesus does, that he saves you from the consequences of your sin. Sin is the debt we owe when we fall short of the call of God. It's a relational debt we can't repay. In our relationships with God and one another, we owe each other some things. We owe each other integrity, honesty, faithfulness. And yet we consistently fall short of what we owe. This creates a debt, a debt in our relationships that can't be paid back. Because relational debt fundamentally can't be repaid. It's not the same thing as a financial debt. If I owe you $10 and I give it back to you, that debt is covered, we're good. But when I lie to you, I've broken our trust. And I can go back and tell you the truth 
But that doesn't change that there's a debt I can't repay. I owed you that honesty. We all sin and wrestle with the debt and consequences of it every day. No matter how hard we try, we can't help but sin. Romans 7 says, Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Paul knew he sinned constantly. He was a prisoner of sin. And you might feel like a prisoner of sin too. We're all living with guilt. We're aware of a debt we can't repay. Or maybe you don't think that way. Maybe you don't think you sin at all. You've made a few mistakes, but that's not the, quite the same thing as sin, is it? But the Bible actually says our mistakes aren't just mistakes. They really have hurt people. They've hurt God. They've hurt God's creation. The injury of our sin leaves a debt we can't repay. Everyone can probably think of a time when you let someone down. You lied to a friend or failed to keep your word to them. Or maybe you know of a time when you owed a debt to society. You stole something. You broke the law. And all of us owe a debt to God. God has been so good to us, and we don't always respond to this relationship faithfully. Maybe you can't quite think of an example of your own sin. You don't know it when you do it, but oh, we know it when it's done to us. We know what it's like, to when, what it's like when someone has sinned against us. We can all probably easily think of an example when someone spoke to us harshly. Their words like venom, meant to wound, meant to hurt us. We can think of a time when someone betrayed us. They said they'd do one thing, and they turned around and did another. They stabbed you in the back. We know what it's like to be sinned against. And I don't know about you, but COVID has created a lot of space for me to be stuck in my own head. I'm home by myself more often, alone with my thoughts. So I find myself just noticing more than ever how often I don't measure up, how many times I sin. I snap at my husband, Michael, or blame him for something. I lie to someone, and in the moment, it didn't seem like a big deal, but later I realized, I shouldn't have lied. I found myself aware of my sin more than ever. And I owe God a debt for this. I struggle to put God first in my life and to surrender fully. I owe my family and my friends a debt for this. My sins hurt my relationships with them. Our relationships suffer consequences when I sin against them. And I owe this debt to society too when I fail to speak out against injustices or I fail to share the redeeming work of God with others. I'm a sinner. I know it. Other people know it. And God knows it too. And I love to find other things to blame for my sin. Oh, that makes me feel so much better when I can do that. My circumstances warranted it. You know, I was busy and I was stressed. I mean, of course I was going to be rude to that person. What else was I supposed to do? Or... Well, I did snap at Michael, but I wouldn't have done that if Michael had just done the dishes like he said he would. I mean, so really it's his fault that I snapped at him. Or sometimes we like to blame our upbringings. A lot of people do that. We say, well, I was raised that growing up, so I can't help it. And I don't know, maybe some of the stuff you've done wrong is in fact someone else's fault. That's possible. But be honest, we know better. 
Plenty of the stuff we've done wrong, we knew it was wrong when we did it, and we chose to do it. We find reason after reason to justify our sins, but as much as we'd like to blame other things, we know. We didn't do what we should have done, and that's a debt that must be repaid. We can't just fix it, and it's easy to be overwhelmed as we see that debt. We're overwhelmed by the weight of it and the sin that we have done. Psalm 69 captures this feeling for us. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Have you ever felt like that? Like the water is coming up to your neck and you can't stay above it. Like you're sinking and drowning beneath it all. Like there's no way to get out because you can't prop yourself out of that pit with something to hold on to. I know it's not pleasant to think about or to remind ourselves of. A lot of us spend a considerable amount of energy pretending we don't mess up. But we need to confront this truth. We sin. We fall short all the time. It is uncomfortable to talk about. I don't like to admit it myself. But when I'm being honest, I know I mess up and I can't blame others for this. We might think, oh, I'll just try harder tomorrow. I can be better. I'll stop sinning. I can just stop this. But trying to sin out of willpower is just like what the psalmist says, trying to get out of a pit without a foothold as the waters keep rising. The writer knows that God sees our guilt. God sees our sin. And we can be crushed by this realization as we see our failures and mistakes. But when we beat ourselves up, it doesn't really change anything, does it? What do you do when you're in that situation? Maybe like the psalmist, you pray. He continues, But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the deep waters. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me, or the depths swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. The psalmist goes to God in his struggles. He knows he's a sinner. We're all imperfect sinners. And God reached down into our imperfection and says, I have good news of great joy for all people. My son will be named Jesus because he will save people from their sins. The God who knows our folly and knows our shortcomings rescues us from our mistakes and delivers us from our sins. God sees us in the deep waters gasping for air and God reached down through Jesus to save us. This story is told all throughout the Bible, how God reached down and saved us. We all need rescue from our sins and we can't measure up to a perfect standard. But don't miss this truth that Jesus saves you from your sins. This might be a part of the story you become so accustomed to hearing that you just don't even notice it anymore. It doesn't interrupt you. But let this truth interrupt you today. Jesus saves you from your sins. He pulls you out of the pit. 
And Jesus doesn't just break the power of your sin, he breaks the power of all sin. He removes the pit completely. The system of guilt and judgment is destroyed by the work of Jesus. And if you want to explore that aspect of salvation more, I want to encourage you to check out Ethan's sermon from January of 2019. I know that seems like ages ago because it's pre-COVID, but it's January of 2019 in the New Testament in a Year series on Matthew 6 through 10. But right now, listen to these words. You need to hear this. Jesus saves you from your sins. Jesus rescues and delivers us from our sins so we don't have to worry about sinking into the deep waters, into the pit. Jesus rescues us from those waters. And we said earlier that sin creates a relational debt and relational debts can't be repaid. But they can be forgiven. In your relationships, you can forgive someone who owes you a debt they can't repay. Someone who hurt you or betrayed you. Because God through Jesus has forgiven you. And if you're here today with a debt you can't repay, heartbroken for how you let God down, weighed down by the consequences of this debt, you need to know you can't repay it, but God can forgive it. And God through Jesus has forgiven you. The name of Jesus is the defining interruption of this story. And it should be the defining interruption of our story too. Not in the way that your own name interrupts your story. You hear it and you think, oh, you're in trouble. You did something wrong or what do they want now? Not like that. You know, a lot of my friends know that I have hearing loss. So sometimes I'll hear someone say my name, but I'll pretend I didn't hear it. So I can keep doing whatever I was doing in that moment. Yeah, that's called selective hearing. Let's not have selective hearing with the name of Jesus because Jesus's name interrupts our lives differently than our own name, more powerfully and positively. The name of Jesus should interrupt your day with joy, knowing that God has come to earth to save. The name of Jesus should interrupt your day with freedom, freedom from sin, the system of guilt and shame. The name of Jesus interrupts your day with mercy, possibility and grace. The name of Jesus interrupts your day with love, the love of a God who hears you who is there for you, who is pulling you up out of that pit. Jesus, we pray by this name, we kneel by this name, we follow this name, we bow to it, and we claim the name of Jesus because we are saved by this name. Will you let the name of Jesus interrupt your life? Just like when you hear your own name, that moment, it's interrupted, your attention is captured. Will you let the name of Jesus capture your attention? that it would make you stop from whatever you were doing, that you would pause, you wouldn't be able to go back to it until you noticed the name of Jesus. When you read the name Jesus in your Bible, let it catch you as you remember Jesus saves. When you sing Jesus' name in a song, experience the joy all over again of being rescued from guilt and shame. And even when you hear someone mutter the name Jesus out of frustration under their breath, even then, could you redeem that moment instead of getting angry at that person? Let it be a reminder to you of what that name means. Jesus saves, that God forgives us and brings us grace and love. Is your ear trained to hear the name of Jesus? Does the name of Jesus catch your attention? That's my challenge for you today. Every time you hear the name of Jesus, let it interrupt your life and remind you that Jesus saves. We're gonna close our time together a little differently today. 
we're going to read some words together to confess our sins before God. And this is an opportunity for us to say what God already knows about us, that we have a debt. God already knows this, but it would be good to speak some words of truth today. So first, we're going to pray together. And you might have heard this prayer before. Uh, these are words that have been useful to Christians for hundreds of years. We're going to speak these words of confession together. And then you're going to hear me respond to your confession. But though you're going to hear my voice, know that these are words of scripture. These are words that God is speaking in response to your confession. So just let that wash over to you when I respond in a moment. Wherever you are right now, whether you're doing the dishes at the sink and listening to the message or on your couch with your family, wherever you are, I want to interrupt that moment and invite you to read the words on the screen with me out loud as we go before God. This might feel odd, but let's take some time right now to go before God together. Read this with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. In response to our confession, God's word tells us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. In response to our confession, the word of the Lord comes to us and says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This is how our loving Father responds to our confession. Through Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. And Jesus accomplished this on the cross. At his birth, he was given the name Jesus, Savior, Deliverer. And at his death, he accomplished the very thing for which he was named. At the cross, he bore the burden of our sins so all our debts can be repaid. And we have this time of communion every single week to remember this. Communion is a time when we remind ourselves of the interruption of Jesus, how he interrupted the story of the world. He came to earth as a baby, our savior. He lived and walked among us, and then he faced death on a cross and rose to life, saving us from our sins. As we take the cup and the bread today, or whatever you have at home, let's remember together how Jesus interrupted our lives with the good news that we are saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have interrupted our lives by saving us. And I just ask right now in this moment, wherever every person is, that we would be reminded that you have paid the debt of our sins. Help us sit in your grace today, God, as we experience this all over again. 
We worship you right now for saving us and delivering us. We turn to you right now, God, as we are interrupted by your promise. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.